der Triathlon Show 373. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of that Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview coach Frank Jakobsen. Frank has been on the podcast before, several times actually, so you probably know him. He has worked with many athletes of absolute world class in long-distance triathlon, the most well-known example probably being Craig Alexander. In the previous interview that I did with Frank, the previous full interview, which was episode 231, we talked about what he calls his DNA method. So I definitely recommend going and listen, listening to that. Uh, we talk about how the physical training and preparation is just one of many points that uh, he goes through when, uh, when working with an athlete and, and there are many other dimensions really so so i found, found that that was one of the most interesting interviews that that i've done on the podcast and it's highly recommended but today we'll talk about a number of topics that are relevant at this point of the year we're in early or mid-january still far from racing for most of us in northern hemisphere anyway so we will discuss season analysis periodization training camps and we will finish off with some thoughts on the ironman world championship and uh, the effects of moving the championships to two locations and two dates with Kona and Nice being those two locations from this year and on. But before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that help athletes perform at their best with electrolytes and fueling products and with free online tools, education and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with their athlete support team. As a salty sweater myself, their highly concentrated electrolytes are super important to me in long workouts and especially races. And uh, to me, there are no gels as good and easy to consume even in large quantities as the Precision Fuel gels. You can get 15% off your first order of products by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Zenate. The Zenate Indoor Swim Trainer is a unique dry land swim trainer that allows you to improve technique, power, and swim training consistency. It is a perfect tool to complement your pool and open water swimming, as it allows you to do very specific power and technique work, including working on your catch and your core activation, and it makes it easier to stay consistent even when you can't go to the pool. You can use it to do activation work before swim workouts in the pool or open water, or you can use it for something like swim, bike, brick workouts more easily. You can try the Zenate risk-free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, you can send it back, and you can get a special bundle including the swim bench and a number of Zenate training plans and on-demand workouts on zenatesuntrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Coach Frank Jakobsen. Welcome back to the Triathlon Show, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Just had a good ride here on Mallorca. It's a little chilly now, but still 15 degrees, but up in the mountains, so I can't complain. Yeah, season is on. Mm. Let's go. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, how, how long and how many meters of gain? Ah, uh, today was uh, yeah for for the, the for my athletes who are with they do it in two forty five and I of course get dropped and just wait on the top and stuff like that so three hour ride one climb nothing special today some repeats building some muscles and like that so yeah building building for for the first part of the period for for the two who are here now so yeah nice nice. 
Anything? Uh, can can you tell who who is there with you now, or is that secret? No, it, it's two it's two young writers that are so it's, it's not the names that are especially interesting. The the big guns are are still doing some family time so and getting ready to go on on camps. So yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so we have some some topics to discuss today that are related to this time of year in particular. So the start of a new year, just getting out from the the festive period. And the first topic that uh, that I want to discuss was around a season analysis. And uh, so, yeah, can you discuss how do you analyze a season of athletes you're working with or analyze it together? And how, how do you use that information to to plan ahead for, for this coming season? Uh, yeah, it's a long one. So I, I think it's, it, it's just going to be around this turning in and out around it. So I'll, I'll try to... Um, I'll try to make it not too complicated. And if I, if I take too many side roads on this one, then I'll try to get back on track. It, um, I think on this one, I, unfortunately, I think it's much more complicated than a lot of people make it into. So I think that if you want just to believe what you believe now and, and life is good, then maybe just jump off. The, I know I shouldn't say that, but, but, uh, but evaluating a season and then, and then planning a season is a little more complicated. There's quite many factors. So I'll try to run them over what I use and what I look at. And they'll probably give you and, and the listeners a, a idea of what they could look at. That would be the positive side. And then an idea of, oh, there's really many things that relate into each other. And that's then what is the confusing part, in my opinion, which is, it makes it difficult to be, it's not black and white. So we wouldn't, let's say when we, when we look at the season going forward, then we would also analyze backwards. So we'll spend quite a sufficient time putting the goal of the season. Um, and, trying to be careful to be smart about it. Now, putting a goal as a professional or age grouper, which I work with both type of athletes, is a, it's, it's a little bit the same we try to do. We try to target races that fit for your, for your strength. We try to avoid races that really expose your weaknesses. So a bad swimmer, would, we would never send uh, a bad swimmer down to Australia as an age grouper. If you are Australian, you're probably a good swimmer anyway, so that's good for them, you know. But I've been down there and I've seen, and if you actually see the times of the races in in uh, Australia, if you see the age group swim times, and you're thinking you, I'm going to go down there and qualify, well, you're going to. If you think you see a shark in the water, it's not a shark; it's just your competitors taking off. Because the best swimmers in Australia are really good swimmers. Uh, the same in the US and in Europe, it's a little more mixed than like that. So. We really try to pay attention to the to the profile of the of the race and match it with your strength and not to expose the weaknesses. So that's the same on age group and, and pro. Pros are a little more forgiving. They can go like, well, I can race this half as a B race going into my A race and just, you know, see if I get a good result or use it even as training, you know. Of course try to do a good performance, but not peaking necessarily and like that's a little more difficult as an age grouper. So actually planning the season for an age group is a little more difficult because you have less shots uh, to 
to get your race right, in my opinion, the big races. Um, so we, we try to... What, what is, with, if you have an age grouper, for example, yeah. and their goal is to qualify for uh, for the World Championship, Ironman or 713, and, yeah. uh, how, how would you... Would you just plan one Ironman or and then one backup, or would you would they have them register for two just from the start because the slots might fill? Otherwise, it's just that those kind of logistical questions are more difficult for the age groupers and for the pros because races fill up and and so on. How how would you go about that? Try to make the plan in time. Uh, on the age groupers, it's actually a little more easy because. I think today actually, or today, Ironman came out with more races for the pros defined of who's women, men are like, but age groupers has been ready for a long time. Now there is an aspect to look into, and that is the amount of slots for Kona. I think there was 200 slots on, on Ironman knees. So if you are, if you're a good climber and good at descending on a bike, uh, <laughs> And want to qualify and you're pretty solid in your age group. I think Nice is a good shot for it, you know. So there is a big, uh, on the female side, there was some extra slots because they're breaking up the races now. So there are more slots suddenly. So I think there are three races in a row in where there's 100 slots for the females and like that. So on, on that side, you, you would want to check. If you're a good athlete in your age group and you know, hey, I have a shot at top 10, even top five, you know. Then you just want to pick your race right. Uh, and, and I am not so, like, if my age group, I say, hey, I'm okay to sign up for three races, but it's a lot of money. So in general, we try to sign up and then hit the target. Uh, at the moment, if you have, uh, if I have an athlete and they are having kids and uh, let's say two young kids, maybe a small and then, you know, then Past COVID, I see some tendency that we have been isolated. So all the parents are saying to me that the kids are picking up more sicknesses now easily, easier than before where they were not so isolated for a period plus COVID, of course. So uh, then I might say, okay, let's, let's peak for this race, but then have a ba one backup race. But else I think it's really difficult with work and holidays and training and like that. So it depends on the person. If it's a young athlete, who has even living alone or even just has a girl or boyfriend, you know, like who's in the sport also, or if it's a f person living in a family with children and having a, a, a 40 to 50 hour job a week, that's two different approaches on that one. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, then, then we'll probably go in and, 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 you know, when that is set, then we'll probably, you know, look backwards again and say, okay, what went well in the season? Uh, And where did we actually like, where did, where did things go according to plan? And there, there I talk basically about peaking, like, you know, we wanted to peak at this race. Did we actually peak at this race? Then you can get a flat tire, you, things can happen. But did you feel well? And were the training with like tests and results, were they like consistent with that? Okay, here we were peaking, you know, if that's the case, then we try to look at what did we do in the, even six months uh, before that peak, you know. Um, the, and here then comes some of the problems is that those six months are almost never consistent. I mean, like, it's so easy that you, okay, too much work or uh, an injury or sickness. Any injury and sickness are 
the big factor here. When, when I see injury and sickness over the six months leading into a peak race, even nine months for some, uh, then it's a factor and it's a factor to count. Then you can say, well, I always get a little bit injured and I always get a little bit sick. That, that's just a, that's just bad way to look at it. The, the main thing is to try with all that you can to avoid getting injured and to avoid getting sick and still train well. And that's the balance. So, so when we look back, and see how did the training and peaking go. This is the biggest thing we look at is when were you sick and when were you injured, if that was, uh, has a huge effect on, on the training. Um, and then, then we look at what we changed. Um, so what did we actually adapt? What did we figure that, oh, this is going to be like this and it was not, and how did we adapt? When we then have analyzed the season backwards, like looked and said what things were good and also when, where, did, where did things go wrong, then we take that and then we look again going forward and say, okay, what, what do we want to repeat? What do we not want to repeat? And what do we want to add? What do we want to test new? You know, so you kind of like say, okay, that's good. Now we know what we did last year. And then going forward, what, what possibilities are there? Well, last year I, we moved apartment that took a lot of time. We don't do that this year. Ah, okay. That should give us some extra space here. Or so we kind of like look at everything that had an impact on training and resting and life in the past season. And then we look at what does that look? going forward you know what what things is coming that we can you know life happenings uh, and and different things and like that uh, yeah i think that's a little bit uh, yeah mm. and uh yeah so other than getting sick and getting injured do you go any deeper into what kind of training led to good performances led to managing to peak well or is that something that that is not so important as long as you can stay consistent. By that I mean, for example, do you look at, well, we trained maybe a bit too much here or, or not, not enough or with too much intensity or not enough intensity, that, that sort of thing? No, I, I mean, this is what we talked about before. It's very general. That's like, okay, what's the goal for next year? What did we do last year? What would we repeat? And, and there, we, there my, my mindset is very, very clear some places I hear or read that some people have said that, well, I just don't understand the guy. He had everything going well. He should just have repeated what he had done. And then he would have, no, you know, we are, everything is changing. Just look at the clock. It's changing every second and your cells and you're building on top or you injury, like you're never the same. So you cannot just do the same and get the same result. It, it, that is a stupid thing for me to say. It's like directly stupid. It's like nothing is ever the same. Everything is changing. So when we, we accept that everything is changing, then we kind of like say, okay, so what is the opportunities next year? What, what can we do of new things that is like, uh, I, I can run over the things that we, I think the best way would to, to, First define, what are we measuring? You know, because when you are looking at, you know, what training did go well, how, how do we measure that? How do you measure that the training went well? You know, that's, that's yeah. for me the essential question. You know, how do you measure the things? 
So I can tell what we are, what I'm using with some and, you know, not all athletes we are measuring them with, but on the professional level, it's pretty much consistent. So we have heart rate, which we are still using despite everything else that has come in. And like that, we still use heart rate. Uh, heart rate has to be calibrated. But now as a listener, now we start on equipment. How do we measure the things? And why is some measurements difficult to interpretate? This I'm going to run through now. And for those who are interested, hang on, buckle up, because there's a lot. Heart rate has to be calibrated. Is the heart rate on your watch, meaning on your hand? It's not necessarily precise enough. Uh, do you have it on the chest? Yeah, some don't like to run with it and so forth. So heart rate we use as long as it's trustworthy readings we're getting. Good. Speed on the run. Uh, with the GPS, again, make sure that it's functional and some they're using stride where we then go in and look at efficiency and stuff like that, which can be done in other ways also. So on the bike, we use power um, and be sure that it's calibrated. Uh, if it's well calibrated and it's a functional power meter, then it can still be off compared to others. So that we always have to... So we might sometimes... When, when three of the pros of mine are down here, we might take and we go on the weight, the scale, and we, we measure the bike, how, how heavy is it? And then they bike up a 5% hill with no wind. And we look at the tires, the rolling resistance that, you know, is it, is it quite kind of equal and like that? And then they are biking. And then, of course, after we just calculate the watts per kilo. If they, if they bike a two, ki two kilometer climb at consistently 5%, no wind then we just kind of like try to see, okay, we had two power meters at 250 and we had one power meter at this. And then we break it down to watts per kilo. And then we see always that one out of three power meters is a little off compared to the other two, always. So that that's a hit rate to, to know about. Then we measure the sleep and at the, those who have, and most of them they have, we use this, uh, the aura ring at the moment is the best equipment to measure that in my opinion there are many other things that can be good as long as you validate that it actually gives good information um, and then in some periods we measure the nutrition using the manual registration and that my wife will look it through and then uh, kind of analyze the eating habits and like that and then we also use sometimes the super sapiens to kind of like look at together with training and intake of energy and total nutrition intake. Now, all these things, and then we test sometimes. So we test with lactate, and it's not because it's up the last couple of years. We've been doing it for 15 years, so nothing new about that, and it's just one marker between many markers. We test in the lab for those who have access. And when we test in the lab, we are not so much interested in VO2 max. That we are interested once in a life almost. But then we're interested in the metabolic profile at the moment when we are testing, meaning that at Ironman pace, how much of your energy is coming from fat and how much is coming from sugar and how much are you actually burning in total? How efficient are you? Together with the heart rate and, and of course, the speed on the run uh, that we are using. And then again, I think we talked about it last time on, on testing, very critical if it's a valid test, like what's the temperature in the room? Are you having enough insulation on the body or it, is the temperature going up? 
treadmill for me anyway always a non-starter but that's just the own, almost the only way there is a very expensive equipment that you can use to run outside with a mask on that measures but normally we get it done on a treadmill and is the treadmill calibrated how precise is it how is the runner that you are testing how is that person running on a treadmill and some are actually good to run on treadmill they are very relaxed and they like it and the efficiency on the treadmill is high and some are awful running on a treadmill and that if you don't know that and you just read the test then you actually are not reading reading it correct so i can say very simple on this one and that i think if the listener everybody will actually go yeah that i yeah that is training inside on a trainer so i know for a fact this that this is not a two discussion so i'm just saying it as it is some athletes are strong can produce better power on the same bike same position but can produce better power output and more consistent output and are more efficient when they're biking outside than when they're sitting on a trainer inside and some are opposite they can produce fantastic numbers on a trainer when they come out it's up to 20 watts lower or like that now that has to be taken into account when you're testing a person in a lab on a trainer or on a treadmill you have to have some kind of aspect within that that is this a person who's better on the treadmill or worse on the treadmill so now I'm tr- i i know that it's getting more and more complicated that's not the point in itself the point in itself is when you read numbers have some space for all these variables that they are there and then when testing in a lab of course the temperature is a factor uh, you get a mask on if it's a good test they put a mask on your face which is for most people pretty weird you know to breathe into a mask and uncomfortable and the brain will actually react to that and something in your body reacts to that hormones and like that and that's how it is so that's the indoor testing so we use all these things to measure and then we use the testing and we also use infield testing on the bike we simply just here on mallorca we have some times that we do again and again so when when my athletes come here then we we have a few days where we do aerobic and just get into it and then we go and hit the the hill and we do lactate and we do some different paces and like that to see okay where are we so so a lot of over time building many markers and many numbers that then you it's more and more easy as time goes along to go okay we are here now okay we're here now okay what do we then want to do we want to get here okay what do we want to do then um so yeah um on the hard rate for instance i I can say this one um when you're when you're using hard rate as one of your guidelines and markers then first of all like i said how do you measure what with which equipment do you measure it with influencing on your heart rate in training is your sleep um influencing on your heart rate is your muscle tiredness if you go out on the bike and you do some very hard intervals and the next day you go out you don't recover well then your muscles are they're not moving well and they're stiff and they're they not fully recovered and that will then do that you can't move so well and that will then suppress your heart rate you cannot push your heart rate up if your muscles are tired so the temperature outside and the humidity will have an influence on how your heart rate goes up or down we, we saw that in kona again some people still don't getting the the memo and not performing over there 
and uh, your fitness level, of course, uh, meaning your your blood, like let's say what your your blood mirror, like some say, like how much plasma expansion has happened during the training that you have done. Uh, your blood is is consistent of fifty percent plasma, about forty forty five red blood cells, and then some white blood cells. The plasma part is an expansible liquid kind of thing that as you train it actually expands in size and that's why your your heart your stroke volume goes up your resting heart rate goes down that's that is aerobic fitness building and expanding your so a low pulse in when you have a really low pulse when you're training it's either a sign of mild to full overtraining or you're very very fit one of the two so hopefully you, you get that one right and also your mental state will have an influence on your heart rate. You know, if you're very stressed and th- things like that, then things have. So just on measuring heart rate and interpreting heart rate results, when you're looking back on last season, all these things, they play in. And and so you, you need to understand yourself very well, and you need to know things in your training if you want to really use it. Um, on on the speed that we use for 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 the run to measure our progress and that there is one thing that has come over the yeah, last five years and that is the carbon juice isn't it and and now i'll just i'll just throw it out there and then the listener can again go like yeah you know because i he, i get approached by people and you know i even have sessions with people where i sit down for two hours and look and i see more and more tendency of people to go like yeah my training stress score on like this and like so they use in training peaks these three key numbers of, you know, general fitness and general tiredness and like that. And I go like, okay, so when you get the training stress score from your run, how do you compensate for, is it a flat and normal training shoe or is it a carbon shoe you're running with? Because the difference for some people is 15 kilometers, 15 seconds per kilometer. And the training stress score number comes from a set threshold inside the system now if you're running with normal shoes or with carbon shoes it makes a difference the numbers are going to be screwed you know they're going to they're not the same you know and to this day i haven't met anybody who's like yeah i have that when i run in my carbon shoes i go in and manually change in my you know my my training data after and change this and this i never ever heard that so i do it with some of mine and we try to okay when we do a test, at least we are marking in there that okay, was it carbon shoes or was it not carbon shoes and like that. But uh, not paying attention to it is again a thing that you, now you're reading the numbers, but you cannot read them fully in in that way. And the same with the power meter we talked about on the bike: is it calibrated? Is it correct? Is your power number correct? Um, the sleep again is super important component. We know that. Okay, so if it's important, how do you measure it? How do you measure the the quality of the sleep? Um, where do do you do you write where you slept? Do you sleep home? Do you sleep in a hotel? What time zone? What's your mental stress? Um, all these things have effects on your sleep quality, and if you're not measuring it, then then that again has an influence of your training progress and not progress. So when you're looking over the last 12 months, nine months, six months and saying, how did I progress in training? All these things play and you have to kind of have a feel. So when I look over it, I sit with the athlete and go, okay, that period, what, 
And then we look at the notes and then we're like, okay, what happened? What didn't happen? You know, yeah, this was a perfect normal. I was home. You know, everything was well. The girlfriend was not angry at me. You know, okay, cool. Life was good. So then we can actually evaluate the training. And then the last component, the nutrition. And that one again, you know, quality of the nutrition and then the timing of the nutrition. Yeah, I remember at the start of the year, I was not good at, you know, one thing that is now, for instance, is January. A lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere, if they actually go out and they're tough, which we like, they go out and ride, it's 10 degrees, it's rain. It's maybe even five degrees in rain. My people from my hometown, like, they ride out five degrees, let's go. Three, four hours Saturday, the long ride. The thing is, they don't drink because it's cold. So the, the, the drinking bottle on the bike is cold. When you get it up, you're drinking almost ice cold water down into the stomach. It's a terrible feeling. So they drink one small bottle on a three-hour ride. What happens? Liquid transfers from the muscle cells into the to the general system because there is no not enough hydration going on. Now the muscles, they get very stiff. Sunday morning for the run, oh, my muscles are very stiff. That must be because there was good training yesterday. No, it's because you didn't drink at all enough. So now you have hard muscle cells because the, the liquid from muscle cells are pulled into the bloodstream, you know. So... All these things are going on. So my, my point from the beginning I said, and now I'll try to wrap it up, is that I hope that all these things gave you, when you replay it, an idea of what can you actually measure and what plays an in, what has an influence on your training. And you can mm. measure. Um, but also the difficulties in trusting numbers just straight up as they are. That's a little bit my message. I know it was a long message, but I hope it made sense. Yeah, it does. It does. And uh, a few follow-up questions. First of all, the least important one, but an interesting side note, I guess. You, if you sometimes with some athletes, you compensate for you actually do measure training stress score, but you but you ad adjust it based on uh, carbon shoes or no carbon shoes. Do you also do the same for? If they're on a road bike or a tri bike or indoor trainer, outdoor trainer, those sorts of things, treadmill, outdoor running, because all of those would be would also have an impact on uh, training stress score. On on bike, we don't because the power is the power. So as long as they are using the same power meter everywhere, then I see that the tiredness and the stress gets to be a little bit the same. Um, so on that one, we don't. Uh, on swim. We kind of like try to keep an eye on that it actually comes in correct. So asking my some of the better ones to say, hey, take a look at your swim, you know. So if a good swimmer who has a very good efficiency is swimming at a hard pace, it it's not so hard. And that one is then just calculated on your threshold time. And then it's just bang, you get a training stress score of sometimes too low or too high. So there we kind of like also look at it manually on the swim. On the bike, we don't. And what did you say on treadmill? No, we don't compensate on the treadmill either. No. Mm. Yeah. But it's true. And and that and that, it just adds to it, doesn't it? So my point on this training stress score is I see people talk with people who's like so focused on that number. So my my take on it is this one. Fine. But don't put it so high on your in your radar. I mean, just don't put it, just put it down like a lot of other numbers. That becomes then the problem is that, no, no, I want one number and I'm going for it. Okay, do that, but it's wrong. For, in my book, it's wrong. It's, it's not going to 
it's not going to be productive for you if what you want to is to have a good time training and seeing progress as planned. Don't 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 put that number so high on on the on the scale. Not for me. Uh, yeah, your sleep quality and your sleep, tracking your sleep and at sometimes adapting to it is a for me is a much more important number than training stress score. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I completely ignore it to be honest, because I think there are too many variables that uh, that are impacting it. But yeah, yeah. I, I see that if you do if you do really take care that you talk about you manually yeah. adjust when needed, then then it yeah. can be fine, I guess. But I, I think for me, it's too complicated to to do. So I, I just ignore it because I think it's, yeah, it's and garbage I, and I, data if you don't do anything about it. I agree with you, Michael. I totally agree with you. My problem in ignoring it is that if my athlete doesn't ignore it if we both ignore it we're good if we if i have an athlete who's focusing a lot on it and i don't care about it then there's a disconnect in in what's going on in the everyday training for me you know so that there i'm very like if an athlete says i like that number then i just say okay but we need to pull it down to a level of importance that i can agree with you know it's okay you look at it you have to understand what it is. It's just a mathematic calculation. And, you know, that's it, you know. And if we don't agree on that, then, then of course, we have a problem. But we normally agree because I don't give up. I just keep arguing. So, you know, we, we yeah. get there always. <laughs> no, yeah. That, that uh, was kind of a joke, I hope. <laughs> yeah. The, the other the other follow-up is a practical question because, for example, when you look at things like, uh, peak power numbers let's say you do yeah. end up sometimes you get power you get power meter errors like spikes and so on so you get yeah. some if you just use tools like training peaks or wko you end up having to filter through some data that is not correct and so yeah. on so so i'm just wondering do you track all of these important things separately in a spreadsheet or what is what is it logistically that you, or and practically that you do when you track your your key numbers whether it's power or heart rate all these sorts of things so we have them written in in different ways into notes and like this in training peaks and then we talk manually over them you know like mm -hmm. so we have a, a dialogue where the frequency is high enough that we kind of like follow it like, you know, okay, how is that? And okay. So it's like weekly evaluations. And if something is wrong, we react. If some, so, and then for some of, of the pros, I have uh, actually a data, a, a performance, like sports performance data company helping out. And they're really, really good at what they do. So they take, and that's another thing is that if you think as an age group, but all those things, measure points that I went over, if you think that you're going to do that and you're going to measure your sleep, you're going to measure nutrition, you're going to measure every run you're, you're on stride. If you think that you have any overlook of that, you are like, call me because I want to talk with you because I want to hire you. Because I have p people who are really, really good with who runs it through algorithms and through, through data scientists running these numbers in and then coming out with overall conclusions like trends, you know. So you run it through and then you go like, okay, it looks like if this person has a average heart rate night, the, the average heart rate over the night has some significant importance actually. And on some people, a lot of importance. And it's like, okay, if this person is over this number for three days, you got to pull back, you know, that's, you know, you can come up with, 
with things like this and you can come up and if you use super savings you can but it needs a lot of data and then uh, it has to be run through by some people who can actually compound it to something that is understandable and you cannot do that in your head you know and yeah if you are if you are really really sharp engineer and understands how to put it into a lot of spreadsheets and then run it but i mean we're talking high level here so what i the reports i get from these guys is i it's impo- it would be impossible for me to to have that kind of overlook to understand that trend you know so uh, so my 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 advice to the to the single athlete is find some of these things that interest you like okay i want to measure the sleep i agree that's important good then use that but don't put any of these numbers high 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 like okay this is if just i'm good on this everything is going to be fine they're all markers they all cross relate like i hopefully could say you know that your heart rate is influenced by your training session and your just the stiffness in the muscles of how much hydration you did on a ride and like so you just leave some space for all these things that are cross related to each other that just moves the numbers a little bit into the gray zone that just just read the numbers but don't be addicted to if this number is good i'm good no because then there's another number you don't have and there's another measure point that you don't have and like that that might be awful like that use them look a little bit at them but most of all your own feeling and then have two three things that you cross check your feeling with and that can be how was my sleep quality how's my heart rate in the morning how is my power is it actually progressing is it supposed to be progressing at the moment you know my coach said we're doing two times three weeks of muscle build sessions i'm doing a lot of heavy stuff i'm doing hill repeats i'm in the gym like okay so at that time my run pace is not supposed to develop positively that's just how it is so i'm good i I don't need to pay attention to my stride uh, or my gps number i don't have to pay attention if my run is improving i am trying to improve bike strength at the moment okay when am i going to measure that i'm going to measure it here so collect the numbers but stop measuring every session every day it's exhausting and it it, it's just ridiculous it's like you have some days that you're not so well and then you get disappointed that my heart rate is a little too high or my pace was not i was struggling to, to have the last five seconds like it's just relax just do the training within the idea of what we're trying to to progress at the moment and then test sometimes especially in swim i would say it's the best example is the swimming it's always 25 meters or 25 yards or 50 meters along the pool it's 27 degrees it's flat water hopefully there's really something wrong if it's windy in the pool so it's always the same and there's this big clock hanging on the wall and people are just every time expecting to swim the same times or better and it's like no it doesn't work like that it just doesn't work like that you know and it's just i see it and i just i in a way i think it's ridiculous but in a way i understand why it is like that we just want so much to improve that's cool but have a system to when you measure your improvement then go through a phase of three times three weeks of a specific training and then say after these nine weeks i should be improved okay then you test again that's interesting that's really interesting Mm. but measuring every day like a lot of people do and like that is like yeah the, the last one i would add to this one would be a very good example weight your weight okay 
it's, we're carrying our weight on the run. So being a little bit fat would actually help most people on this way. Cool. On the bike, no, not so much, but it's not, we don't get punished so much. But on the run, and we're tired when we're running in triathlon, the, the middle and long distance, well, so we want to be, you know, slim. And for some people, it goes overboard. Too much focus, and they start having problems even. Okay, how do we measure weight? Or how do I tell my athletes to measure weight? It's a factor, so we want to measure it. We want to see if we suddenly are gaining a lot of weight. It can be because we are overtraining and then by accumulating liquid in our body and like that. We start to lose a lot of weight that we have to stop that. That's not good, you know, if, if it's not by plan, you know. And we don't want to lose it too fast either. Good. So we actually, I say that let's try to measure our weight. How do we do it? We do it three times a week. So let's say Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three days in a row at the same time, best in the morning, and then you can go and do what you need to do before you measure or just go straight on the weight. That doesn't really – and you measure it, and if you measure yourself three days in a row and you're 70 kilos and you're 72 and then you're 72, okay, then you're 72 kilos. Because if you just measure once, it's not reliable enough if you're dehydrated or something like that. So we measure three. Then we don't measure more. We don't measure seven times a week. Because when you start to go on the weight every day, you start to be obsessed with it. That's the start of getting obsessed about your weight. And if you go more times a day on a scale to see your weight, okay, now time to go and visit a doctor instead of a coach, you know, because now you're fucking up with your head. So th these things are simple rules, but can you do it, you know, in real life? Can you, can you actually live by that rule? Today I talked with one of my athletes and he said, oh, my weight is this. And he said, but you just came back. You just flew intercontinental, intercontinental flight. I have told you when you fly, you accumulate liquid in your body. So don't go on. But when people travel, then they come home to their own scale in their own home. And then they go on it because they want to see on my holiday, did I gain or lose weight? I like that. Give it some days, train, and then go on the scale. So there are some rules to apply on this. And again, my point is, It's just a number between a lot of numbers. So have the numbers. And like you say, how do you keep track of them? We try to kind of like collect them into training peaks or blood numbers, for instance. Um, yeah, I didn't even talk about blood. That's a big boomer. So blood numbers, for instance, we put into a file. And then when you have blood tests, then you, you just put, okay, now 9th of March, I had a blood test with markers. Well, these and these markers. And then we write. And then three months later, a blood test and then then we write these numbers. So, yeah, keep track of it, but don't let one number become your overall fascinating number because that's not how it works. That's a little bit my message. And then find what you like to measure, fine, you know, and then do that. And let maybe your coach guide you a little bit to what's important and what's not important. Yeah. I, I did a Q&A episode last week, um, this week by the time we record this and uh, one of the questions was how do you measure your progress towards goals and i i suggested that well one of the best ways you can do is just to measure your performance in key workouts so if you're training yeah. for a triathlon you have you have a certain type of swim workout that you will repeat throughout the year and you yeah. have a certain type of bike workout and a certain type of run workout and just yeah. see how you do in those in those workouts and and then You don't need necessarily to track all of your peak powers or peak paces or whatever. Just 
like look at your performance and your RPE and those sorts of things, and and then you can determine whether you're moving forward or not. It doesn't tell you why you're improving or why you're not improving, but at least it gives you a simple, a very simple way with yeah. one one metric per discipline that you can try yes. to see if you are improving or not. I agree totally, and and you know, in, it, it's totally my book that one. Instead of measuring all the time every day, have a plan. What is it you want to develop? Okay, like so that that's a little bit back to where we started was that okay, how do you actually plan the, the, and how do you choose your races and like that, you know? So are you uh, you know very skinny and, and low in weight and like that, and you are a very good climber on the bike and you are a great descender? Well, Ironman knees would probably be a very good race for you, you know. Whereas if you are if you are tall and a little bit bigger, can generate a lot of power. But you, let's say you're 100 kilos and you can, you know, you can bike as an age group where you can produce like 270 watts over 180K. Well, if you're 100 kilos, then a lot of that power, if you're going to do Ironman knees, disappears because it, it knees is a climb. It becomes watts per kilo. Okay, go and do Arizona, Cozumel, Florida, do a, find a flat one where the absolute power becomes an advantage for you, you know, and then, then it becomes power absolute power and aerodynamics you have to focus on okay you know so understand the race courses and understand the athlete's profile as as you have as a starting point now when you then are talking about well i qualified for knees i'm going to race knees okay now we then have to train specifically the person for a specific race that's different you know so as an age group when you can choose your races understand what your strength and weakness is and then pair it up with your race you know so that's okay mm. i want to get back to that in just a little bit but before that uh to wrap up the season analysis when you have whether you're uh coached by you or by somebody else or you're a, a self-coached athlete and you have a, a small number or a big number of things that you're tracking how do you then make sense of those numbers and actually make it actionable like, is there anything else that we should talk about in, in that regard when you have done the analysis part, but you want to make it actionable? I think you should... Um, okay, I'll try to keep this one short because I did the other ones a little bit long. I just, yeah, I really hope it didn't go too long. But it is. So this one for me is not so difficult. When you want to... If you are doing specific marker test sets, like, okay... I'm doing this swim set. I'm doing, this is my marker set on the bike and this is my run. Then you want to look at what did I do to like, where here I was really running well. Okay. So what did I do three months up to this test? And what did I do three months before that? So a six month period. It is a fact that some people are high responders to volume and low intensity. Some people are high responders to high intensity, low volume. And then there is, between that, there is then people high responding to high volume, high intensity, which is, of course, a hard, very hard training group to be in. And then there's actually people like responding in the middle area, like good volume, a mix of volume and intensity. That's where they respond best. This is a fact. This is proven in science again and again. And this is what we are seeing at the moment, some places, you know, now this training method is up or this training method is up and like that. No, it, it's fine. That Okay, so you have a training method, fine. Throw it at 10 persons, see who comes out in the other end. Some will, some won't. And we see it again and again. 
all the time. So you have to have 10 training methods, physical training structures, and then you have to analyze the person, like who is this person in front of me? And then you have to pick that what we need to do now. And then six months later, it's a different training stimulus that has to be put on the person. But we have, we know that people are responding uh, differently to them. So what my point is that if you want to evaluate what was good for you, one thing you're looking for is to find out who am I? Am I responding well to 30 seconds intervals? Or am I responding very well to long rides, six, seven hour rides, you know, getting at low intensity? And at what time of the year am I responding well to that? You know, that that's what you are. That's what you're looking for. It's not easy, but that's what you're looking for. When should I train what and what type am I? What am I responding well to? Unfortunately, age group, some has said to them that, well, the pros are training 35 hours in a mix of slow and, you know, like, okay, 80, 20, 80% low intensity, 20% really hard. Cool. Well, I don't have 30 hours. I only have 12. Well, you want to keep the intensity and then do less of the slow. That depends who you are. I'll give you an example. It, it, I'll give you an example. It's two minutes long. Uh, Ryan, who's Ryan? Ryan uh, is 30 years old. I think he was at that time 31. He comes to me. He lives in Canada, but not just in Canada, in Newfoundland. That's the rock island on the, the, out on the East Coast. It has brutal weather, terrible. And it's just like he, he said to me, I, I bike out six weeks a year. Rest is on trainer. It's really windy. If it's not windy, it's cold or it's snowing or it's terrible. You know, Brian is fantastic. Beautiful person. Okay. What else, Brian? Well, I just had a small kid and I think we're going to get one more. Oh, beautiful. This is perfect. It's just getting better and better. And what do you want? I want to go to Kona. Okay. I missed it by 42 seconds in one race, next race, 20 seconds. And then finally I missed it at one minute 40 last time. So I, not only did I like him, I also felt sorry for him. So I said, let's go. Who was he? Ex ice hockey player. Almost made it to the NL, NHL. NHL. What does it, yeah, what does it mean? It means the guy is high intensity. He was muscular. He was trimmed. He loves sport. Perfect sports person. I was like, my God. Had luckily been swimming at high school level. So he could swim a sub one hour with, with 12, 15K of swimming, mixed swimming a week. We could get him under one hour on the Ironman. Now you're competitive. Okay. His power was out the window. He was so strong. But of course, because he had been doing weights all his youth and life and ice hockey, sprinting on skates. How strong do you get? Amazing. Running his 5 and 10K was amazing. His half marathon, not so great, but still. And his marathon sucked. The same on the bike. I mean, his 10K power and his like 20 minutes test. So if you take a 20 minutes FTP test and throw on that guy, he's going to give you some huge numbers. If you then calculate, oh, then we just take 5% away from that. That's your threshold. And then 80% of that is your Ironman zone. No, now you're starting to do it wrong because the guy is a powerhouse, but he's not an endurance athlete. Luckily enough, Brian was so beautiful person. that when I said to him, I'm sorry, Brian, but you're going to be so bored because you're going to train so slow and so low intensity for so long. Are you okay with that? And he, I just want to go to Kona. I said, let's do it five hours on the train. And he went straight to Kona. 
After he went to Kona, he raced well, no problem. Two years later, he won. He went back to 70.3 and he won 70.3 Calgary over all age groups. There was no pros in the race. The first guy to walk in and cross the finish line was him. It's it's a lifetime memory for him, not just him, just for me also, but also his wife and kids were there like that. This is when you profile the athlete and he understands when you tell him, you 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 have to do some boring training my when it, it just can you please do that then you're going to be fantastic he was missing all the low aerobic zone when you put that under his strong power and his profile you had a complete athlete so that's what you're looking to find out what's your profile right now what do you need to add to it that can make you an even more complete athlete that's what you're trying when you're analyzing last year and looking for your goals for this year Does it make sense? It makes a lot of sense, and it's a great example. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and with that, I think we can move on to talk a little bit more about periodization that we were heading into. So um, I guess, well, we already talked a bit about the age groupers and race selection if you want to qualify for a main race. What about the pros? How how do you approach that when when they need to make a living out of the sport and it's a bit more, you have to do races to get prize money and get sponsor bonuses and and so on but and some of them do want to qualify but not all of them necessarily are at that level where that's their goal so how do you approach race selection with the pros um that that's a huge mix i mean it's a mix of of financial uh, goals like some some athletes in this sport are unfortunately on break even or even less uh, and and so there you can go in and say you know we're going for Uh, races where we where it has to be a plus travel costs uh, price money minus travel cost has to come out plus every time so then you're trying to target races and then again you go in and target races that hit that fits your profile like that then you have athletes that are that good and they say i want to race the best races the best people then you go for the championship races and like that so that defines kind of like the now pto races are, are of course here You have to be in the top 40 ranking. Then you get to race the normal PTO races, which has prize money that are substantially higher than Ironman, which now I think the impact next year is going to be high in the pro ranks on that. You know, like who's going to go? How do you plan your season compared to that? Uh, and then, of course, the split up of, uh, of Kona also plays a little bit into planning the season. And then it is, again, the periodization compared to the race goals. Okay. And then you then you add to it altitude training, which is a process of yeah, at least three weeks, mostly I would say four weeks. Uh, and some are going altitude if they can and can afford it. Like some, they go two months to stay at altitude to get a big base of altitude that you then can kind of like supplement for the next six months, you know, do 10 days or two weeks or like when you have done such a big block and like that. So there's a lot of other components that you you build into the choices and the periodization of a pro. And then some some professional athletes, they they, they do very well with a pull-out and then build a base, like traditional periodization, build a base, build on top of that, and then get race ready. And then there is a window to race and recover and, and trim and race and, and then, you know, and then back out again and then do the whole thing one more time. Some athletes, some athletes are actually, and that's my point again, is that, This is a fact. Some athletes, they can train high intensity all year and do well with that. 
what most science now say is that even those who do the traditional periodization with a long base at least one time a year, maybe even two times, they still should have like once a week or one every 10 days, a high intensity, like really VO2 max incorporated to their training. So, um, so that, that's, I think is like general knowledge now and, and it's being done. So even in normal structured periodization, you in base period will do VO2 max, uh, of some sort. Mm. And, uh, what about the number of races? Do you think is there a limit, or I, mean, I guess it's very individual as well? But what do, does it ever happen that an athlete wants to do, whether it's a pro or an age, age grouper, they come to you and say, "I want to do these races," and it's a list, and you think that that's not possible, you're going to be burnt out? Is, does that happen? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's like some athletes are just bulletproof, and they actually. By racing, they, they race themselves fit, you know, that there is something to, to be said about that. Uh, I think, to be honest, I think that in triathlon on, on, on the, on the high level, I think we are doing pretty well. I think what we saw, Team Sky was the first, I think Weekends was the first really to break the, 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 the traditional way of thinking it in, in, and that was because he had a swim coach advising him, wasn't it? Because the swim coach, he said, when you go and do the spring classics, you are losing fitness. And he was like, but that's very hard races. It's not. You're sitting four hours protected, and then the last one hour is really, really hard. Unless the, the groups, they break in the wind and blah, blah, blah. Else you're sitting at 150 to 250 watts. That's not hard. Let's go down to Tenerife. I'll put you up on tidal mountain. I'll give you three weeks there. And they saw, of course, that the overall load and training stimulus was much higher by training three hours and living at altitude on Tide on Tenerife than going to Belgium and, and up in the classics and hanging around on different hotels for three weeks and racing uh, once a week, you know, that, and then recovering and then trimming up and then tapering and then racing. It's like the overall, and that was actually to prepare for Tour de France. He would do it. So that was, I think, the first really time that you say that, okay, let's let's rethink you know so uh so so in that way i i think you have to on age group level on 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 professional level you have to understand what is the athlete and what kind of responder is the athlete you know how hard was last race season we see some people racing a lot one year and then the year after it just falls apart we see some people racing a lot the first six months and then they, they try to keep racing the second part of the year and they start to struggle, you know, and, and they're good people. It's like the, the training, the training sessions can be okay. They start to think that now nah, I can, it's not really working well. I'm not progressing in training at least. Am I also declining now? And then they, they keep going and before they know it, they're in the hole and it's over, you know, like that's it. And normally we see it in Kona. Look at Kona this year. Who of the big names actually didn't do well? And then look, look at somebody like Patrick Lange. He did fine, but look at how he ran in Israel. Like what, what was that? Two months later, he ran at fucking 230. That's like crazy. And, and I mean, when I saw it, I was like, I was, I was almost calling everybody I could to find out, was it 42.1 K long? You know, like what the fuck? <laughs> like I was like 230. Cause everybody was talking about 235. It's like, Oh, that's the new thing. I'm like, what's new about that? 
I mean, I worked with Craig over a decade and, and Craig in Melbourne, I can't even remember the year. This is over 10 years ago, isn't it? Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, yeah. Pre-Super Shoes, anyway. <laughs> it's pre-Super Shoes. He ran it too. We had a little technical error there. So we were talking about uh, Craig Alexander running in Melbourne pre-Super Shoes. Uh, you were saying... Yeah, and that was in connection. Now I lost it totally. That was in connection with... Uh, yeah, how much how much you raise and like that. I mean, Craig, Craig was very, very specific about... I remember when he had won... And then they, they introduced the rule when he was world champion and said, even if you have won, you still have to do one Ironman. I remember Craig was furious. He was like, my, and today people are racing like five, six Ironmans and like that. So, you know, better recover protocols, you know, and a lot of things, but still the way Craig, he trained to an Ironman and raced the Ironman, he dug really deep, you know, so there is something to be said about that. I think we also have to be careful to judge the pros when they're racing an Ironman, because sometimes they actually race it. They're very fit, but they don't go all the way. You know, they go 95 or 90%. And for somebody who's really, really fit, going 90%, they recover pretty fast from that. I mean, the run, of course, is the problem, but but swimming and biking 180K, that's, that's not a problem at all for these guys. I mean, and girls, they're really fit, some of them. So so that there we have to be a little bit... Again, the proof is in the racing, you know. When they come to what they themselves say, this is my most important race, one of my most important races of the year, okay, be there, you know. And if they're not, then you can, then there is an argument to say probably you raced too much or you did it wrong or something went wrong. And that's, it's worst for them, <laughs> you know. From outside as a fan of them or something like that, then it's of course disappointing and oh, come on. But for the athlete itself, it's very hard. You know, because they don't come, they don't come to the big races with the intention of failing. That's for sure. You know, so so it it just shows how difficult yeah. it is. To be honest, you know, it's really difficult. So, and that's what makes it exciting. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. so within the topic of periodization, training camps. You already mentioned altitude. Um, so, how how does uh, training camps factor in for you? What do you think are the best times to do it and maybe if we if we stay away from altitude just normal training camps and maybe for from the context of age groupers that it's more about um getting some good like full-time training done when, when is a good time to do that and what what is the what are the main objectives of doing training camps i think uh there are different factors to training we have run on mallorca our camps like over 10 now 10 years now i think this year or nine or 10 years minus pandemic so what we always say is that it's really nice to have something to look forward to. For some people, it's a motivation factor over the winter to actually get the training done because they know that they're going down with their friends on a training camp. So, And they know that to get the most out of seven days training, they need to be fit to a certain level when they arrive there. So it has a motivating factor to get them to do training in the winter time in the Northern Hemisphere. It can be hard sometimes. So that's that. Then there is uh, the time that, you know, if you choose a right camp and it's done well, like when, when people come down to us, we used to say to them, come and be an amateur, but train like a pro, you know, like be like a pro. And our training camp is really a training camp. People train to the maximum amount of volume. We try to keep the intensity away as much as we can. But, you know, some people, they come down with their friends and they hit the first mountain and they, of course, have to find out who's strongest now. So... But in general, we advise them to say, 
you know, we work from five zones. Zone one, easy, two, Ironman, zone three, 70.3, four is, is threshold. We normally say zone one, two, three, all week. Don't, don't even go threshold and don't go VO2 max because the recover time is so long that when you're training the next day and next day, then you're just accumulating too much tiredness. So we advise them to do a big volume week uh, when they come down and just have a great time doing that. That, that being said, then when you come back, if you take some easy days, maybe even the whole week, five days, Monday to Friday at work, then you go out in the weekend. And probably if you've done it right, then you'll be like, I feel that I'm stronger now. And that's really fantastic. That is actually the thing. Motivation in the wintertime, have a great week, and then carry it into being stronger and feeling more fit in your training, when th- which then carries into your race being faster and more fun. So that's the chain in my mind, you know, when you do it right. Yeah. So I, I think it's a great thing to do, honestly. So. Yeah, I, I think one thing that I found with with athletes doing training camps is that, especially if you then if you do a training camp in in February or March or April, and then you try to once a month or so you get in a a weekend or even if you can an extended weekend like Friday to Sunday, where you do a big yeah. endurance block with a lot of volume just to kind of yeah. make, boost that volume block that you did in the training camp, then you can really maintain. Yeah that that boost that training camp gave you and 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 see big benefits from it when when you're racing in the summer uh, it's a very good point it's a very good point and and that brings us back to periodization a little bit when we talk about camps and periodization periodization for age group is, is is a difficult fish because if you read about the scientific papers if you go and read scientific papers then forget that for an age grouper you can pick some of the the, the knowledge from it but then you read some books or you hear a podcast like as an age group but your time it has to fit in with a lot of things you know so i see much more great results for age groupers training where they really look into like the time of the year am i training outdoor or indoor how much time do i have and you know when is my race these kind of components when you put that into and then you say well i'm I'm not going to be doing any long rides. It's snow here, you know. Okay, do I have a fat bike? No, I don't have a fat bike. Okay, then, you know, how much do you want to do? Then no, I don't want to do four hours on the trainer. I, it, it's boring. I don't want to do it. Okay, well, then do some intensity. Do it and then get the most out of it. So when, when you take, like, how's your training look, if that kills your motivation and your enjoyment about training, then it shouldn't look like that, should it? I mean, like, as an age grouper, as a professional, you say, well, well, as a professional, it shouldn't kill your your love for the sport either. But there are some things you need to go through at the purpose of making a living. And actually, this is your job. You know, okay, it's a whole different thing. But as an age grouper, if you start to do training at certain times of the year that you really don't like, I'm like, why would you do that? I mean, just because you think it's 5% better than the other training that you would love to do? Oh, forget those 5%. Do what you love to do. The, the result is probably going to be, that's what I see. Those people who try to do it really like the pros and then they just, you know, they don't seem happy, many of them, you know. So it's like, I don't I don't think that's the best way, you know. So No, for sure. And uh, other than smashing it up the first, uh, the first mountain when you get to the training camp, yeah. are there some other common mistakes that you see and that you would, tr- that you should try to avoid when you're on the training camp? Um... Train so that you are fit when you come. 
don't try to to recover a lot of training the last week before you go to the camp like oh i'm gonna get fit in this last week no no if if, if there's one week to the camp and you're not fit you're just not fit so okay arrive at the camp a little bit rested because you know that that the camp if it really is going to pull then it's going to pull and then i think on the camp what we see sometimes is some people actually also come and they think oh yeah and now i'm going to train so much so i'm going to lose a little bit of weight you know and that's like nah that that's if you're if you're training like a lot of hours and you're losing weight it means you're eating much too little now your body's going to break down you know so you're going to get much too tired or you're going to get injured you know so uh, training camps is not a place to lose weight either so that's for sure yeah and yeah. then yeah and then don't bring new equipment like don't bring a new bike and a new saddle and new running shoes and like because if you get a irritation in your achilles or you know or if you get a sitting wound in on your bike or like you know and then you have four more days of riding six hours that's that's not so that's not recommendable so equipment that you know that is functional for you and that you don't get irritations from I think that point about the uh, nutrition and uh, managing your energy intake is really important. That even even if you don't have the idea that uh, like you're going to lose weight, but even if you think that well, I'm going to try to stay in energy balance, but that's very difficult when you go from maybe training ten hours a week to training twenty or twenty five hours in a week. I was just reading um, a study from some uh, elite cyclist or pro cyclist from Norway, I think, and and they. For seven days, they measured their their training, energy expenditure, and and their energy intake, and and uh, they found that well, they were really bad at compensating by taking in more energy when they had bigger training days. Like for every one thousand calories that they expended in training, they only compensated two hundred. So so it was uh, on some days they were in huge energy deficits, and and then on the recovery days they tried to compensate for that. But I think it's it just shows that it, it can be quite difficult like you have to really well first of all fuel your workouts which we have talked about on another podcast before but then also in your your meals around the training make really make sure that you're not not just eating what you normally would at home but making sure that you focus on on taking in more energy than you would normally if you're training twice the amount or uh, even more than that 100 percent. i mean and I think I think it's very very obvious uh, in a way. If you take, I think a lot of people now start to actually have their race nutrition pretty pretty dialed. Let's say let's say we take all the people who's racing in Kona, all age groupers racing in Kona. How many of them are pretty okay anyway on taking in the plan of nutrition? What happens in race is sometimes a different thing. Okay, when I talk with people, if I keep a workshop or like that, and I ask, okay. So how much are you taking? Oh, I'm taking 80 grams an hour. I'm taking this. And the numbers are pretty okay. Like they sound pretty okay. Some of them will need more. They don't know how much they are spending, but at least they are getting in quite a... My point is, if then you ask them, so how much do you take on a on the training day? That if you go and train 180K on the bike, you know, at a, you know, even throwing in some intervals at half Ironman pace, are you then taking the same as you would take on an Ironman race? And they are on 20%, 25%. You know, they take one gel per hour, and in the race, they're taking three gels per hour, plus drinking uh, solid with, with some kind of sugar and like that. So the thing you say about the Norwegians is, it doesn't surprise me. It surprised me if you say it's an elite 
uh, cyclists, then I would say then they are, there's a reason why they're probably not that elite anyway. But yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I don't remember which level they they were at, but I think I think it was yeah. it was no, it was a professional team uh, before the pandemic. Uh, I think yeah. Yeah, the study was conducted. I don't know how yeah. how high professional level, but the professional team for but, sure. But but let me say like this here uh, for those who saw this fantastic World Cup game now. When I'm sitting and, and watching, and I I am a, a, I don't know I'm I'm not a teenager, but I, I of mind I'm a teenager about Lionel Messi. I don't know. There's something for me about that guy that is just like he is. Yeah. So I watched the the final in Qatar with, with great pleasure, and uh, but when I see it, I pay attention to some things. And what I, for instance, I paid attention to was that they, we we are in Qatar, we're going out in extra time. And you saw clearly that the game shifted in the second half to the French advantage because they put in some really strong and fresh guys, and it became it's physically shifted basically the game. And then in the in the extra time, I was like, my God, they changed some players. I was like, no, come on, do something. But what my point to this one is is that in the half time between first between the normal game and into the extra time, and even that the Brazilian players, if you look at it, they're just drinking water. They're not even drinking a bottle that has their own name on or anything. It's just smart water bottles, all of them. So it's just sponsored water that's put into the dressing room, and that's what they bring out to the pitch. Now, being triathletes with all that we do, <laughs> sodium and sugar, I'm like when I see that, I'm like, but it doesn't surprise me. You see it everywhere in the sport on the highest level that there's so much still to be done many places, so much, you know. They should have had sodium and sugar in the in they should have gels after the normal game before going into extra time that would have reached the muscle cells during that play and they would have been able to run faster and 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 also in the head sugar in the head to to react faster and everything it's just so it that that research you talk about it doesn't surprise me uh, and that just shows that if we do the things right there's a huge advantage so yeah yeah <laughs> just just do the things right and we will be winning all night long nothing else yes. yeah. yeah uh so. the, the, fi the final topic for today that i want to to chat with you about is your thoughts on the ironman now being uh shifted to ah. the dual championship kona and nice uh, women and men separated and then alternating years what are your what are your personal thoughts first of all my personal thoughts um maybe boring my personal my personal thoughts are that okay that's done what are the possibilities in that that's my person i'm i'm okay that's what i look and focus on i don't i i, I don't i really don't spend a lot of time having a critical opinion about a lot of the points that i hear out there like that i go like i mean it's done mm -hmm. there are five there are five interest groups in this first of all iron man and it's their company and they run it as a business and with passion also i think these people they go at work every day trying to to do well but they also have a business to run okay cool i live in it <laughs> so uh, hey thank you for thank you for setting up the races that my athletes they can express their capacity in and I, and give me the high and lows in my life that i've got from this sport beautiful thank you that's all i can't criticize Iron man I mean, what the fuck i mean they don't do it to harm people do they but they have a business to run also second uh, then there's the professional athletes the third there's the age group athletes uh, fourth, there's the sponsors, the endemic sponsors who lives in this sport and like that. And, uh, and fifth, there is the race venue places. So there is a lot of opinions depending on where you look it from, you know, mm -hmm. 
And I respect all these opinions. It's opinions from people who at least show interest and, and engagement in the sport. I'm okay. What I will say is that if you're one of those who sit and write on Facebook opinions and then somebody that you don't know writes another opinion and then you start arguing with that person, stop fucking wasting your time. Get back to work. You know, that I will say. I mean, that's just like, you know, I just, I try to balance my social media as much as I can. And what I never, ever do and would never, ever do is write out into open space my opinion. And I would never, ever at least react to anybody else's. Talk with friends about it. Have a good discussion about it, you know. Don't shout out into empty space, you know. So, and most of all, embrace it and see the possibilities. Like, Mm -hmm. criticizing doesn't help. You're not going to change it, you know. It's like... Hey, I love Kona. I spend time there and, and like, and, and I hated the price level there at the end. And I pay it every year when I go there. Hey, I have these opinions. Of course, they're natural opinions, but it's done. I wish them all the best and I wish all athletes the best in embracing it. And if you embrace it, you're going to have the best races. That's it. And if you don't like it and you don't like Ironman because they did it, you don't have to race their races. You know, it's like a TV program. How the That's fuck true. can you sit and say, uh, that that TV program is so bad, and say, how can you even say that? It means that you saw it, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> like it's it's just not logic to me. It's just like so. Yeah, I have some, I have good things about it and bad things. I try to focus about the uh, the possibilities that this is giving, and that's plenty. There's plenty of good things in it. Yeah. So, it's just so what what are what are the possibilities that you see? Oh, d- different athletes now have chances to express themselves, you know, and capacities and like that. Because racing always on the same race course will play in favor to those. Like we talked, you know, that you can choose races that fit very well to your profile as an athlete, you know. Mm. And then you can train to a race, but in a certain, you know, like if <laughs> if you are 80, k- like I, I have Jesper Svensson, he's a beautiful athlete, beautiful person. He loves and he's so dedicated, but he's never going to be 60 kilos, so... You know, I don't think Nice is going to be or even 70 kilos. He's an ex-swimmer, you know. But he can race very well in, in Kona. This year he improved, and we're looking forward to Kona two years from now. Is he going to race Nice? Mm. Don't, I don't necessarily think so. So it means that he can do something else this year. You know, it's not all about Kona. You know, great, that's a possibility. What does that open up chances for him, you know, of looking at other races to do and like that? And for those who didn't, who could not excel in Kona because they are like, I, I mean, like Patrick Lang is shooting up at 2.30 in Israel. How poisonous do you think he's going to be in, in Nice? I don't know his descending capacities, you know, how good he is at going down. You know, Cameron Roof must be clapping in his hands. You know, he's going to put 10 minutes on everybody going downhill. You know, there's a lot of fun things that's going to happen from that, you know. So athletes' profiles get mixed up. That's that's quite uh, – that's a really fun factor in the pro field, I think, you know. Yeah. yeah. The same for the – and it's the same for age groupers. You know, some small girl or small guy who's a super runner and actually good power on the bike, but not mostly watts per kilo instead of absolute power. They're going to have a huge advantage racing in Nice compared to Kona. Yep. And then I think it's, ni- it's nice for Europeans to be able not to travel so far, you know. Yeah, I, I, fi- I think I, I have a feeling that the on the age group side that it's going to be more competitive than, than it has been in Kona just because there are going to be a lot of very competitive athletes that are even considering going to the world championships now and that haven't considered it in the past just because it's prohibitively yeah. expensive. Yeah. And then, I mean, depending on how many it's going to race, but always when there is a climb like there is in Nice, and it comes pretty early, doesn't it? 
uh, drafting becomes less factorious. You know, like we know it's on the on age group level, even in Kona, some big groups, you know, especially in the beginning of the race and then getting better. They try to regulate it. It's a hard job. Do I think they do a good job? Mm, some races, yeah, some races a disastrous job, you know. So one of the things that I was hoping before this happened was actually that Ironman would go out and say, okay, we are going to have, this was my take on it. We are going to have Ironman races that has no qualification for Kona. You know, nothing, zero. And there's no drafting rule. We're not going to enforce drafting rules. Like, we know, I, you can say, and I can say, I don't want to put names on this. this. This is not nice, but it is what it is. Like, you can put four or five races straight up there and saying these races are, like, always a problem with big groups, like hundreds of people in groups biking. Why the fuck would you go there as a competitive athlete and, you know, like, just go, that, that's the place for those who want to go and just race an Ironman and go back and say, I did an Ironman and I don't care about the time. I am an Ironman. Cool. Good for you. But it's not a competitive race when there's so much drafting, you know, it, it's just a problem. So get some races that are without draft rule and just go and do an Ironman. You could easily get 10 Ironman races like that. Then you could have championship races like Frankfurt and this and that. And then you could have other races that where there are actually slots for Ironman. In that way, my take on it was that less slots than there now is going to be, still racing on the same day and like that. Then there is the thing about the women having their own race. And I respect that. All the female athletes, pros, are saying that that's going to be nice for them. So I really clap my hands on that. So that, so I think there is a lot of good things about it, depending who, with which eyes you look from, you know, so. Yeah. So. If, if you are, we have, because we have, this is another episode that we have done with you and, and I had some other coaches on as well talking about Kona preparation. So we're not going to do that. But uh, if you are now a male athlete, you want to go to Nice or you're a female athlete and you want to go to Nice next year in 2024, what would, yeah. I mean, there are some obvious things like riding hills, learning, riding downhill and so on. But are, are there any, any other things or any things in particular that you would say that focus on these things to, to perform well specifically on that course? Um, your weight and your equipment's weight uh, will play a big factor on the bike. So you, you, you would want to try to hit that balance point of a healthy low weight where a healthy athlete is a strong athlete, but still you don't want to come there with three, four kilos too much, you know. And the same with your equipment, you know. You don't want to set up your equipment like the normal way, you know. You want to understand where's the aid stations. You want to carry as little weight as possible up that mountain, you know, because, you know, in total, if you really look at that, it might be five kilos and then that that's time if you want to be competitive you know i would also probably look very much into the ability to go at a high intensity and recover from that you know like train the body to race corner you can do it a little more stable like you can go at you know 80 percent of your threshold with a variable factor blah 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 you know very steady and then it's only out in harvey if the wind was hot you get into trouble but the last years it hasn't been windy so much you know so in, i think in nice you have to be capable of going really hard like 90 percent, even up to threshold on the climb and then still recover and still ride well and still run well after that so there is some training to be done on that factor for sure you mm. know and also it's 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 in september but it can be warm 
sun is a little bit lower, but it can be hot. So like that's one of the measurement things that we have been using also. We used in Kona to kind of define like Jesper's run pace, where 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 what's too high on run pace that he accumulates too much heat that you can do on the bike on uh, on needs to use this core uh, measurement uh, thing to measure your body temperature, core temperature. So you go and you simply climb and then you see at this power, my my body temperature starts to accumulate heat too much. You know, that's going to punish me. That's going to accumulate so much heat that I don't get rid of it. And then you then you can learn that, okay, up to this power, I can go. And that's, that's maybe on the threshold, you know. Maybe you can go to threshold and you're not accumulating heat. Or maybe you're saying, I have to go threshold for five minutes here and five minutes here. Well, then I need to have a cooling strategy that I don't overheat on the bike, you know. Because the bike, you, biking up, you got to push. That If you want to be competitive, you cannot hang around on 80% of threshold there. That's over and out. So you, 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 that capacity is difficult. It can be trained. And that I would for sure look into. Hmm. Let's uh, move on to the rapid fire questions. Uh, V2. So what is your favorite place to train? I, it it sounds, it is stupid, but it is Mallorca. And it's the northern part where we are and where we have the camps. We chose it not by accident. We chose it deliberately because it it has yeah it just has mountains that are not too high so you can train in the spring it's not too cold in the mountains you have a lot of where we are you have a certain amount of flat riding before you hit the mountains it's beautiful it's not too many cars it just has what we yeah that's just how it is it's ocean you can swim in the ocean we have pools we don't have a 50 meter pool but we have okay pools and like so yeah i like this place for an overall great uh, Spent time in Boulder many times with Craig and, and with other athletes. Like that place also. It's, it's The town is growing and the Americans are, are getting worse in the traffic. That's that's the minus on that one. So, yeah. Uh, and what is a bucket list race or event that you would want to do? It's wherever my athletes, they do their personal best. I have to say, it sounds super sweet, but it is. I mean, that's what I'm in this game for. When I am at a race with one of my athletes or more, and they actually cross the finish line, if they win a race, the pros, that is just worth everything. Uh, if if some if they do their best ever, and you see that that is that's why I'm in this. So yeah, I don't have a specific place. I have that feeling when. When it works and you pass the finish line, having won or done your a new personal record, your best ever race that you have done, that's that's yeah, that's my bucket list. Uh, luckily enough, there's many of them. So, and and if you could acquire expert level in any skill in the world uh, in an instant, what would that be? To sing, fuck, to sing. I, I I can't sing. When I sit in the car or if I sit with headphones and I listen, to, I like good music. I really, I like. And now I have these kind of headphones with noise reduction and I find myself sitting singing. If I take the headphones off, I mean, I get scared. It's terrible. I would, I so much love when people can really sing, you know. Mm. So if I could get that skill instantly, <laughs> that would be it. That would probably be it. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. I've been thinking about this question myself, and and singing would probably be at least in the top five. That that, that would be really cool. <laughs> there's something about it, and there's so many different ones. I mean, like Elton John is like he's talking when he's singing, and like this, it's just like I just know. I don't know. 
when people actually sing, they seem happy also. Those who are really singing from the bottom of their stomach all the way up, it just seems like a happy feeling, you know. Yeah, anyway, so maybe a stupid yeah. one, but there could probably be better abilities to acquire one, yeah. Hey, it was rapid fire, so I'll have a I'll have a new skill I want tomorrow. So, yeah. Well, one yeah. one new skill that you have acquired, uh, or one new thing that you are doing, is you're now available on Instagram, which wasn't the case uh, <laughs> in the last interviews. So, so where can people find you on Instagram? <laughs> no, people are gonna go. Anybody who knows me, they're gonna go. Ah, oh, he surrendered. He surrendered. Yeah, let's not go into social media. I have strong opinions about it, but uh, you can find me on hashtag. Coach Frank DNA. That is my tag. So, yeah. And yeah, you're welcome to follow me. And if ever you want to ride with me, you can send me, but you have to leave time because I don't read things on social media. I put some things and then I go in. And if somebody actually shows so much interest, they want to talk with me, then I send my email and then I use email as old school as I am. But I want to, yeah, I want to balance social media for many reasons. So, you're welcome. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, thank you for coming on and doing this interview um, again. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you in March in Mallorca. I look forward to see you. Let's see. Let's see if I can catch. Let's see if I can drop you five meters this year on the bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Bye, Frank. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Ciao. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. And as mentioned, I will link to Frank's first interview, which was back in episode 231. Also, Frank was on in two additional episodes where I interviewed multiple coaches on a couple of specific topics. The first one was workout fueling in episode 306. And the second one was Kona preparation in episode 309. So I will link to those as well. Uh, and uh, one thing that I want to mention here, I talked about this with Frank afterwards. Uh, I'm sure that some of you were screaming at the at your headphones when I didn't follow up and ask about the the data analysis uh tools software uh, team that is that frank is working with that he mentioned there and uh, basically he's work this is not something that is publicly available he's working with a team that uh, does this kind of work and they are testing it on f on athletes from frank and and other domains as well and uh, it might become publicly publicly available at a later point if they find that the the quality is good and if not then it won't so so it's it's not something that you can go out and use right now just in case you were wondering Next Monday, I interview Melanie McQuaid, who is a coach. She is a multiple Xterra World Champion, and she is racing professionally at the Ironman and Ironman 73 distances at the age of 49, which is just one of many topics that we will discuss. So stay tuned for that. It is very impressive, and uh, Melanie is a great interviewee. As you probably know from before, and if not, then I'll tell you now, uh, when we are running our scientific triathlon training camp in Mallorca, we are doing it in collaboration with Frank and his wife, Kaisa, and uh, their training camp business, Next Level Camp. So that means that we get the best local knowledge, we get access to the best partners and prices, and of course, uh, Frank's knowledge and coaching skills as well. So in addition to the fact that you get to do a training camp in a place like Mallorca, which uh, Frank rightly said is one of, if not the best places 
in the world to train uh, with with us at scientific triathlon which hopefully is a brand that you have a lot of trust in but you also have the additional draw of getting to meet frank himself he's as you can tell from these interviews super knowledgeable has hundreds of interesting stories uh, we don't have that many slots left available for the camp anymore uh, a handful and a bit so check out the information on the website and don't dwell too long on the decision because the expectation is that the camp will be sold out it is at the end of march so check out the information email me if you have questions and uh, i hope that i will see you in majorca Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy. And book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate swim trainer to your technique, power, stamina, and swim training consistency. You can try the Senate risk-free for up to 30 days and get the special Senate and TTS bundle that includes the swim trainer and a number of Senate training plans and on-demand workouts on senatesfimtrainer.com for slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft love.